In Trump's America, rape is a pre-existing condition. Under the new health care bill, rape could be a pre-existing condition. Trump's health care bill allows rape to be a pre-existing condition. Rape and domestic violence could be pre-existing conditions. These are all real headlines from mainstream media outlets. New York Magazine, Huffington Post, The Independent from the UK, and CNN. Under the American Health Care Act, states have the ability to opt out of federal regulations requiring insurance companies to cover pre-existing conditions. Naturally, the left immediately conjured up images of people injured in the most horrifying possible way, rape, and then suggested that the bill would suddenly leave rape victims adrift. Here's New York Magazine, quote, Under Obamacare, pre-existing conditions were guaranteed to receive coverage, among them sexual assault. The American Health Care Act is going to change that. In addition to rape, postpartum depression, cesarean sections, and surviving domestic violence are all considered pre-existing conditions. So let's parse this for a second. According to the leftist media, if you suffer an injury in a terrible situation, the situation itself is now a pre-existing condition. In other words, these headlines could just have easily read, quote, in Trump's America, car crashes are a pre-existing condition. Or under the new health care bill, soccer accidents could be a pre-existing condition. The bill itself says that pre-existing conditions are pre-existing conditions. Nowhere does it give a list of pre-existing conditions, including rape or sexual assault, because these are activities leading to injury, not actual injuries. The leftist case here is, as usual, idiotic. Events are not pre-existing conditions. Injuries that occur as a result of events, if they occur before you attempt to buy insurance, and are are definitionally pre-existing conditions. Duh. But the debate has now been so skewed that we think the government can magically have health insurance cover rape, which doesn't even make sense. If no injury occurred requiring medical attention due to a rape, what would the insurance company do to cover it? Pray? Hunt down rapists? Yet the people who believe the government can protect you from all ills and apparently send insurance adjusters into the streets Charles Bronson style to mete out justice and prevent rape are out in force today. Quote, under new Religious Liberty Act, hospitals can deny rape victims emergency contraception. Under AHCA, rape will be a pre-existing condition. Katie Hnida, Clara Jeffrey, new version of AHCA wants to punish both special ed victims and rape victims. Good luck in 2018, boys. Here's a list of all members of Congress who voted yes to AHCA. These people believe rape is a pre-existing condition. This argument is the equivalent of saying that Obamacare sought to hurt rape victims by throwing people off their individual insurance plans. Obamacare may well have thrown people off their individual insurance plans, but it wasn't because they were rape victims. Come on, people. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. So much stupid, so little time. We'll talk about the leftist reaction to the American Health Care Act and the rollout of such. We'll also talk about why the Republicans screw up every single major piece of legislation they apparently bring to the fore. We'll also talk about Marine Le Pen and Sally Yates and all the news of the day. But first, I want to say thank you to our new sponsors over at Upside.com. So if you're a business traveler, and particularly if you travel alone, Upside.com is made for you. Every time you buy a trip at Upside.com, you save a ton of money and they give you an Amazon gift card worth $100, 200 even $300 every single time. So what they do is they bundle your flight and your hotel together for one low price because you're traveling alone. They can afford to do this. Bundled pricing saves money, especially on business travel. So Upside gives you free Amazon gift cards. If you're a frequent business traveler, your company saves a bunch of money just on the prices, and then you're the one who ends up actually taking the Amazon gift cards, and you still get all of your miles. You should definitely check out Upside.com. Flights and hotels booked together for one low price. And right now, if you go to Upside.com and you use that radio listener promo code, code Ben, if you go to Upside.com and you use the promo code Ben, you get at least $200 in gift cards with a minimum purchase. So that is a pretty awesome deal. I love Amazon.com uh, and uh, you know, obviously there's no better place to have a gift card. So go to Upside.com, you get the cheaper flight, plus you get the, the kickback from Upside.com in terms of the Amazon card. It's just terrific. 
your company benefits, you benefit. Check out Upside.com. The guy who founded it also founds another one of these major travel companies, so they really know what they're doing. They also have in-person help, so if you call them up, a real person is going to answer the phone and help you out. Upside.com. Again, use that promo code BEN. Receive at least $200 in gift cards with minimum purchase. Minimum purchase required, and you can see the site for the details on what that means. Okay, so... Lots going on in the news. First, I want to give my brief reaction to the blowout election in France. Uh, Marine Le Pen gets blown out in the French election by Emmanuel Macron. Emmanuel Macron is a first-time office holder. He is the youngest uh, president of France, the youngest leader of France since, apparently, Napoleon Bonaparte. He won 90% of Paris. He blew he blew Marine Le Pen out. She's the head of the National Front. She ditched her association with the National Front going into the election cycle. A lot of people, including President Trump, were excited about the possibility of Marine Le Pen because she is very harsh with regard to the borders. Instead, she gets absolutely walloped. She loses 65 to 35. The polls were skewed, but they were skewed actually in Marine Le Pen's direction. The pollsters didn't want to be surprised by Marine Le Pen, so instead they were actually oversampling, apparently, her crowd. A third of French voters spoiled their ballots or abstained. They didn't like either of these two choices. And uh, the the big generational gap is basically Le Pen ran even with Macron among young people, among old people. He blew out Marine Le Pen. What does this election say? So there was this weird idea that nationalism all over the world was on the rise, that nationalism all over the all over the planet was on the rise and that you were going to see nation after nation following the Brexit model, following the Trump model. And they're going to elect nationalist leaders. Now, normally that only happens in opposition. Historically speaking, the reason that you get nationalist movements is in opposition to other nationalist movements. So, for example, in Europe, you saw the rise of a lot of nationalist leaders during the 1930s because there are lots of nationalist leaders arising. So what that means is that if you have a German nationalist leader coming to the fore, then it's a good shot that you might get a British nationalist leader coming to the fore in reaction to the German nationalist leader. Nationalism tends to breed nationalism in other countries, just as internationalism tends to breed internationalism in other countries. But the French election was not going to be a reaction to Trump in the sense that they are going to now effectuate some sort of national stand against Trump. In fact, if there was any Trump effect to this election at all, which I really doubt, if there was any, it was a nationalist reaction against Trump by electing someone that Trump didn't like. You see the, you see the point? So here is the, here's the problem with reading too much into this election cycle. It is not a rejection of nationalism wholesale. It's a rejection of Marine Le Pen, and it is a rejection of the old order. Remember, Macron was not running associated with any party, and Marine Le Pen was running with the National Front. The two historic parties that have won in France are the Socialist Party, uh, the, the sort of Francois Mitterrand party, and then the and then the conservative party in France, which was never all that conservative. Francois Fillon was the Fillon was the was the candidate there. Both he and the socialist guy ended up being ousted in the first round. So you had two newcomers running against each other, and that I think is the common the common thread that holds together Britain and holds together America and holds together France in sort of the electoral trends. I don't think that there is a coherent program from any of these countries. I don't think there's a coherent right-wing movement that is now on the rise anywhere. I think what you're getting instead is just a reaction to, we hated what came before, give us something new. Give us something new. Whether it's David Cameron and get rid of that guy and put in Theresa May, or whether it is Barack Obama and we hate Hillary Clinton, so get rid of her and put in Donald Trump, who's completely new, or whether it is we're sick of Francois Fillon and we don't want Marine Le Pen because she's a little too scary, so put in Macron because he's new. I think there is this reactionary feel about politics that politics is failing, and therefore we need someone new in place, and Marine Le Pen was just too scary. Now, I also think that on the left, it's too much to suggest that Marine Le Pen was ousted because of her border views. I don't think that's right. I think she was ousted because she has this long-standing history with the National Front, which scares people, rightly so, because the National Front is, a, is historically an anti-Semitic party. 
She's moved away from that because she wanted to win an election. But historically, they were an anti-Semitic party. Her father was a deep-rooted anti-Semite that she had to condemn. Uh, and, and so I think that there is the possibility, every possibility, that if there were a conservative candidate in France who came along and were not Marine Le Pen and said, we need to do something about all of the immigrants who are swamping us, particularly from Islamic countries, I think that that person might have a better shot. Marine Le Pen was just too off-putting. And so that's the result. It sort of suggests what might happen in the United States. If there are any sort of ramifications for the U.S., it would sort of suggest in the United States that if there were somebody on the left who were willing to make a nationalist argument and not be an old fuddy-duddy like Hillary Clinton that no one likes, that they might have a shot of knocking off Trump. Because Trump is sort of a Marine Le Pen in, in the sense that there are a lot of people who dislike him. He has very high negatives. If there were somebody from the left who were not so scary but were a fresh face and were willing to express, you know, sort of co-opt some of Trump's language, then Trump might be in trouble in 2020. So that's the only thing that I'll say about the Marine Le Pen election. I don't think it's earth-shattering. I don't think it's a, a massive win for the left. I don't think it's a massive loss for the right. I think that Marine Le Pen's a scary character for a lot of people. And and she was not the best candidate for the right, but the right is on the move just because new stuff is on the move and they haven't seen anything even remotely right wing in France. Plus, by the way, she's a socialist. I mean, the fact is that her domestic policy is big government socialism, anti-trade socialism. So the idea that it was sort of right versus left in France is not really true. It was nationalist left versus internationalist left, but nationalist internationalist left, if that makes any sense. A sort of nationalist France that says we are our common characters to be internationalist. Okay, so that's one thing that's in the news. The other thing that's in the news this morning, it's sort of the new breaking news, is Sally Yates, who's the former acting attorney general, she took over for the uh, for the former attorney general, Loretta Lynch, when Loretta Lynch stepped down, and then she was, uh, for a short period of time, the acting attorney general. She obviously was messing with President Trump, and then he fired her. She's now testifying before Congress, and there is a and there is a suggestion that so Donald Trump goes on Twitter this morning, and President Trump tweets out that somebody needs to ask her under oath why she why there was all this information leaking to the press after she talked to the White House Counsel, spelled C O N C O U N C I L. He meant C O U N S E L, like the White House Counsel, but President Trump is not big with the spelling. In any case, she's testifying on the Hill, and the left is using this as an opportunity to say Sally Yates was really ousted because she knew too much about Mike Flynn and she had to be silenced. And so now they're very excited that she's on the Hill. And here's Trump responding, trying to go after Sally Yates. It doesn't make him look great. Meanwhile, the Obama administration officials are leaking, old Obama administration officials are leaking to the press that Obama had warned President Trump about hiring Mike Flynn. Now remember, Sally Yates, according to the left, was fired because she knew too much about Mike Flynn. That's what was going on here, was Mike Flynn was deal it was in heavy with the Russians and Sally Yates knew it. And then Trump fired her in order to cover that up for some odd reason, which wouldn't make a lot of sense because then she could just probably go speak about it under oath, which is what she's going to do today. In any case, there's a story out today that I just want to debunk because I think it's silly that, that, that President Obama warned Trump about putting Flynn in his cabinet. Okay, so did everybody who's a conservative. A lot of people were very skeptical of Mike Flynn. They didn't think that he was qualified for this. The suggestion seems to be that Obama warned Trump that Flynn was enthralled to the Russians, and Trump ignored that. There's been no evidence of that whatsoever, that Obama was warning about that. And if Obama knew about that, then why did he retain his security clearance? He still had full security clearance in 2016 from the Department of Defense, did Mike Flynn, even after Obama fired him in 2012 or 2014. So it, it, none of it makes any sense. I think this is a little bit more of the, the Russian rumor mongering that you're hearing from the left. I don't see any material here to suggest that Trump was in deep with the Russians because of Mike Flynn and then fired Sally Yates. At least I haven't seen any any material to support such suppositions right now. Okay, so 
I also want to talk about the blowout. This is the big topic that I actually want to talk about. Those are sort of topics of the day. But now I really want to talk about at length the American Health Care Act because the, the Trump care that has been rolled out, Democrats are responding in predictably stupid fashion. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, their first course of attack was to claim that the AHCA makes rape a pre-existing condition. As I mentioned earlier, this is just stupid. That doesn't even make logical sense. Rape is not a medical condition. Okay, so you can't have a condition. No insurance coverage ever has covered rape. It has covered injuries that may be resulting from rape, but that has nothing to do with with covering rape itself. That's silliness. So, you know, number one, there's that. Number two, this bill doesn't actually revoke pre-existing conditions. It gives states the ability to opt out of required pre-existing conditions, and the vast majority of employer-provided Insurance programs cover pre-existing conditions. Medicaid covers pre-existing conditions. So the idea that people are just being left without any coverage on pre-existing conditions is just silly. So that argument is really dumb. The other argument that's been made, the the left are trotting out some of the worst arguments ever on on this bill, which is amazing because they're really good arguments against this bill from the left. So, for example, they should be saying it makes care, it makes the the acquisition of health insurance, it could make the acquisition of health insurance more expensive for elderly people. Clearly true. Clearly true. Okay, this, the, the AHCA Trump Care makes it more expensive for, for older people. It also creates a coverage gap for poor people because one of the things that it does is in restructuring Medicaid, it basically says that it's going to lower the subsidies for Medicaid on the state level, and then it's going to give grants. It's going to give you basically a tax credit for buying health insurance. But those tax credits are not enough for poor people and old sick people, so it creates a coverage gap for those people, driving them to rely on Medicaid, which the federal government is not spending as much as it used to spend on. So that would be their best argument, is that a bunch of people are going to fall through the cracks in this program. Because again, here is the bottom line with regard to health insurance, and this is why it's so stupid stupid to discuss health insurance as the be-all, end-all. Okay, the bottom line is, unless you're, unless you're going to mandate the pre-existing conditions are covered and then issue a mandate that everyone has to buy, right, this is what Switzerland does, unless you're going to do this, there will be coverage gaps. There will be coverage gaps. That's just the way that this works. Once you say pre-existing conditions have to be covered, prices are going to rise. The only way to cover that rise is either with a massive subsidy and or nationalization of the program, which if you create massive subsidies, by the way, the prices just continue to go up. So it doesn't really help anything. You have to keep subsidizing the program. Or you nationalize the program altogether like Britain. Or you do what Switzerland does, and you force people to pay 8% of their income into health insurance as a start. By the way, that was sort of what Romney Care was, and that's what Obama's attempt at Obamacare was, although it was actually softer than that. Republicans have actually, in some ways, done the worst of both worlds in this bill. They've maintained pre-existing conditions, and then they've also removed the mandate. So that means that you're actually exacerbating the death spiral. You don't have enough young, healthy people paying into the insurance programs to keep these pre-existing conditions programs alive. So that means that it falls apart. The way the Republicans solve this is they say, okay, states can opt out if they want. But the states aren't going to opt out because not a lot of governors are going to have the political courage to opt out of the system and then be told by their rivals in the next election that they're the ones who opted out of pre-existing conditions. In any case, those aren't the arguments the left are making. Those would actually be pretty good arguments. The arguments they're making are, of course, the stupidest arguments you can make. So Andrea Mitchell on NBC News, she says that the big problem here is that there are too many white men making health care decisions. The celebration uh, of this on Thursday, they were all... Mostly all men and white men at that. There was no diversity there. Women's health issues arguably are going to be disproportionately affected. Take a look at this. Obamacare includes maternity and newborn care, preventative care, uh, mammograms, cervical cancer screenings, birth control. All of this under the essential package, no longer required under this House bill. 
Uh, yeah, and the question Andrew. that she asked there is the important one because she it's so stupid. Look at all these horrible white men. Look at all these terrible, horrible white men who are doing this thing. How could they possibly do this thing? Just awful, these terrible, horrible white men. Again, this is intensely stupid. Uh, this is a really bad argument that they're making. They're making a lot of bad arguments lately, and this is one of them. Uh, and then they're making the argument that millions of people are going to die because of health care, that millions of people are just going to fall apart and be killed because of health care. Again, there's not a lot of evidence to suggest that a lot of people might fall onto Medicaid, and then the states will have to pick up the slack. But again, th- that's, that's wildly exaggerated. Now, I want to break here. And uh, I want to talk more about what the Republicans have been doing, because I think that that actually is stupid. I I don't know that while everybody was celebrating on Friday and Thursday, I don't think that this is something Republicans should necessarily be celebrating over. It's not quite that easy. But to hear that, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com right now. $8 a month. Become a subscriber over at dailywire.com. Or if you get the annual subscription, get the annual subscription, and uh, you too can become a member of dailywire.com, and you can get a free copy of The Arroyo, the fictional film set on the southern border. You can go check that out over at dailywire.com. Become a subscriber. Or if you just want to listen later, go over to iTunes or SoundCloud and, uh, and become a subscriber over there. Leave a review. We always appreciate it over at iTunes. We are the largest conservative podcast in the nation. So the biggest problem that I see in the AHCA, in Trump Care, is not the program itself. I think there are real problems with the program itself. And I want to discuss exactly what it is that's in Trump Care because people are sort of fibbing to you about what Trump Care is. When people say that it's Obamacare repeal, it is not, in fact, Obamacare repeal. It is very silly to suggest that it is, in fact, Obamacare repeal. Here is what is basically in the program. So essentially, the program does not do any of the things that people are saying that it is going to do. This idea that it's going to wipe out pre-existing conditions, it doesn't actually do that. It doesn't actually do any of the, it doesn't actually lower premiums because, again, they don't have the subsidies that are possible in order to, in order to lower the premiums. It, it doesn't do a lot of the things that Republicans are suggesting that it does, but it's, but it does restructure Medicaid. That's basically what it does. So here is what the, the AHCA does to be more specific. Pre-existing conditions coverage remains a federal mandate unless states opt out with a federal waiver, which is politically unlikely. Essential health benefits remain a federal mandate with the possibility of state opt out with a federal waiver. So that means that there are certain coverages that have to be covered by these insurance programs unless states decide differently and they have to apply for a waiver to the federal government, which the federal government may or may not give. The individual mandate is gone, but it's been replaced by a sort of backdoor mandate where if you take a gap in coverage, Let's say you have insurance now and you take a gap in coverage for a year and you come back. Insurance companies are now forced by law to charge you a 30 percent surcharge on top of that. So you basically have a backdoor mandate on that. A new entitlement program has now been created to cut checks in the form of tax credits for health insurance without means testing, which means that if you're a poor person, you get the same amount of money as a person who's making 60 grand a year, which means it's more likely that you're just going to make less money and stay on Medicaid so that you can remain eligible. Regulations on age pricing remain, so they still are not allowed to charge you a lot more if you're old, but they're allowed to charge you five times more, not three times more. To be fair, that's not even close to the ratio, okay? If you're 80 years old, the chances that you're going to be spending money on your health care are significantly higher than if you're 20. Okay, it's like a 10 to 1 ratio minimum. That's not a 5 to 1 ratio under any circumstances. The feds are going to send $138 billion to the states to subsidize premiums in high-risk pools. That's probably not enough money to actually subsidize the high-risk pools. And regulations requiring insurance companies to charge the same prices to men and women remain, which makes no sense at all. Because again, 
women cost more money in terms of health care, and that's not just because of pregnancy. It's also because women live longer on average than men. If a state does not have a high-risk pool, it cannot do away with these Obamacare regulations. On the positive side, it turns Medicaid into a block grant over time. It allows the pool of those joining Medicaid to expand until 2020. It cuts most of the Obamacare taxes, which is good. It ends the regulations governing employer mandates. That's probably the best thing about this, is there was an Obama regulation that said you must cover your employees' health insurance if you have more than a certain number. I think it's more than 50 employees. You have to cover everybody's health insurance. That no longer is the case. It allows capped coverage, again, in the insurance market, promoting competition so that you can have people offering you $2 million capped coverage for a cheaper price than no capped coverage at all. It's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. But Republicans are portraying this as not a mixed bag. They're portraying this as a big win. They're, they're portraying this as just a huge win all the way through. And that, I think, is really, really dumb. The reason I think that that is really dumb is because they are playing in the Democrat sandbox here. Everyone who touches health care dies. Okay, the, the Democrats touched health care in 2010, and they've been losing ever since. The, Hillary Clinton touched health care in 1993, and she's been losing ever since. Republicans touched health care here, and they still have government involved in a very heavy way. And then they're proclaiming that it's on behalf of capitalism. And this is the thing that drives me up a wall. Okay, I want to do a flashback. This is what Bush said in 2008, President George W. Bush. This is what he said in 2008 when he was explaining the bailout to the banks in the aftermath of the financial crash. Here's what he said. Well, I, what I am... I, I am obviously have made a decision to make sure the economy doesn't collapse. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. And I think when people review what's taken place in the last six months uh, and put it all in one, in one, you know, in one package, they'll, they'll, they'll realize how significantly we have moved. And um, I'm so sorry we're having to do it. I'm not real happy about the fact that there have been excesses in the financial markets which are affecting hardworking people and affecting their retirement accounts. Having said that, I'm very confident that, that with time, the economy will come out and grow and people's wealth will return. Okay, the reason that I hate that quote, and it was played incessantly, is because he says, I've abandoned free market principles in order to save the free market. He was never an advocate of free market principles. Not in the financial regulatory markets, not with regard to subprime crisis, not with regard to Wall Street. This is what Republicans do. They pretend that they are for free markets. They pretend they are for capitalism, and then they promote crony capitalism, which doesn't really exist. They promote something called corporatism, which is basically payoffs from government to private businesses. And then they turn around and they blame capitalism when everything goes south. If you hear that quote, your impression now is the financial crisis happened because of capitalism. The financial crisis did not happen because of capitalism. The financial crisis happened because of moral hazard created by the federal government in saying they were going to pick up the slack for subprime mortgages and the financial hazards, the moral hazards created by the federal government saying over and over to the financial industry that if things go wrong, we will bail you out. And then the minute things do go wrong, who gets blamed? The capitalists. And the same thing is happening now on health care. So Republicans are now promoting a program that is not a free market program. It may move slightly in the direction of free markets by cutting Medicaid, by turning it into a block grant system. But it is, not, it is not a free market program under any circumstances. And yet Republicans are portraying this as a big win for conservative ideology. It is not a big win for conservative ideology. And the problem is, when it fails, which it will because it is a government program, when it fails, who will get blamed? Will it be the people who advocate big government? 
Of course not. It'll be the people who are standing over here saying we don't want anything to do with any of this stuff. This is the part that drives me up a wall about how Republicans talk about legislation like this. Here's the honest take. What they should have said is, look, here's a government-run system. It is politically unpalatable for us to get rid of this government-run system all at once because too many people are too dependent on government right now. We need to transition it out. The same way we did welfare reform, we're going to transition it out, right? It's going to take a little while. We can't do it overnight. We don't want to leave people suffering, but we are going to transition toward a free market, and this is the first step in transitioning toward a free market. But that is not the way this is being pitched. By having this big celebratory bash at the White House for a bill that hasn't even passed the Senate yet, the idea is we have now repealed Obamacare, and it is a scam, okay? When Trump says we've repealed Obamacare, when Ryan says we've repealed Obamacare, no, you haven't. It hasn't even passed the Senate yet. But the idea is that by having this big celebrity but celebratory bash at the White House, then if the Senate waters it down or if the Senate kills it, Trump can say, look, I was there celebrating the Obamacare repeal. It was just that awful Senate that wouldn't do what I wanted. But here's the problem. Republicans can't even discuss the language of conservatism because they don't know it. So instead what they do is they talk soft Democrat, they talk Democrat light, and then they pretend that's conservatism. And then when it fails, who gets blamed? The people in the free market system. The people in the free market system. Which, by the way, is exactly what Obama wanted. What Obama originally wanted in Obamacare. It's not like Obama didn't know any of this stuff was going to happen. He was lying about it. He knew people were going to lose their insurance plans. He knew that people were going to be thrown off their health care. He knew that premiums were going to rise. He knew that this was all unsustainable. But his plan was, when things fail, who was going to be blamed? The health insurance companies, which, of course, is exactly what's happened. Everybody blamed the health insurance companies. And then he was going to say, nationalized health care. Instead, it was Trump who was elected, not Hillary Clinton. And so when the thing fails, Donald Trump says, okay, well, you know, maybe we'll make some trims to the edges a little bit. And if it fails, then it sort of fails, but it's on Obama. But Trump isn't enough of a capitalist to actually say, okay, here is why it's failing. It's failing because it is not a free market system and we need to transition to a free market system. So here's the first step. Instead, he leaves the entire basis for Obamacare in place philosophically and then trims around the edges. And everybody is doing this, right? So if Reince Priebus, here are the two giveaways. When somebody says everyone will have health insurance, that's a lie. In a free market system, not everyone has health insurance. There are people who can't afford it, and there are people who don't buy it. Okay, those are two groups of people. We can find ways to help people afford health insurance if they can't afford it. Right? We can find a backup system for them. We can have private charity fill that gap. You can even have high-risk pools, theoretically, if you want a government solution to that. But it is a government solution to a problem that is not really the free markets. In any case... When people talk universal health insurance, that is a Democrat talking point. And when they talk pre-existing conditions, it's a Democrat talking point. Because pre-existing conditions in a free market will never be covered by insurance. There's not an insurance company in the world that will cover pre-existing conditions unless you're talking about pooled care, like an employer, right? Where you have 50 people working for the company, and so the insurance company just insures the entire company, and they figure some of them will be sick, some of them will be healthy, the healthy people will subsidize the sick people. That's actually what happens when there are pre-existing conditions that are covered. But... Republicans fall into the trap. They think it is their job to fulfill promises that Democrats made. They think it is their job to provide universal health care, that it is their job to provide pre-existing conditions. So then when they talk like Democrats, you shouldn't be surprised if they fail like Democrats. And that's what's going to happen here. So Ryan's Priebus says, don't worry, we're not going to let you down. Everybody's going to be covered. Can you really stand by the president's pledge that everybody will be taken care of? Absolutely, Chris. And if you break this down, and I'll be very quick. Uh, on 
In this bill on pre-existing conditions, 176 million people across this country get employer-based insurance. This does not affect pre-existing conditions for those people. Number two, it doesn't affect pre-existing conditions for Medicare recipients. It doesn't affect pre-existing conditions for Medicaid recipients. So now you're down to about nine and a half million people, and it doesn't affect anyone with continuous coverage, even if a governor, which I'm not sure that's ever going to happen, takes the waiver option, it wouldn't affect anyone with continuous coverage. Now let's just, let's just assume that there are some people that might not have continuous coverage, they might not be on Medicare, they might not be on Medicaid, they might not have employer insurance. There are millions and, of people who fall into that. And the governor takes a waiver. We've put billions, not millions, billions upon Eight billion billions over five of years into high-risk pools to buy down any premium that they would have uh, that they would have to pay for. And that's just in the House bill. What this tells you is that when President Trump brought Billy Long, Fred Upton, Two Greg Walden, and Dr. Burgess into his office last week and said, fellas, let's work it out. Let's make sure that this pre-existing condition is taken care of. President Trump made it happen, which should show every American how committed he is to making sure that if you have a pre-existing condition, this president is not going to let you down. Okay, okay so everybody, so, so listen, he's making the same argument a Democrat would make. This is the same argument Obama would make. He would make the argument, no one with pre-existing conditions is going to go without. Now, never mind that a bunch of insurance companies dropped out of the system and now people are stuck on Medicaid. Obama would make exact, why are we even talking in this language? Why wouldn't the answer be, look, I mean, it, it, the answer is this because this is what Trump promised during the campaign, because Trump is not actually a conservative. But why would any conservative – here's what the conservative response to this question would be, you know, pre-existing conditions coverage. The, the answer would be, listen, insurance does not cover pre-existing conditions unless you have pooled insurance through your employer. That means it is your responsibility as a young person to buy your own health insurance. Now, if you have a pre-existing condition and you're hurting, this is why we encourage people to give charity. This is why we have charity hospitals like Children's Hospital of LA, which is where Jimmy Kimmel actually took his kid, right? The reason you have charity hospitals like that is in order to fill those gaps. But the problem is, the minute you mandate that insurance companies take pre-existing conditions, all you're doing is bankrupting the insurance companies. They will drop out of the system, and then we'll have to tax people in order to pay for other people's health care, and that is inherently unfair. Okay, the conservative solution to the pre-existing conditions problem is personal responsibility when you are young, and then if you have a pre-existing condition, then you know, obviously employers cover a lot of that because this is how it works in terms of employer-based an employer-based system, but in the individual system, the answer to that is private giving. And then if you want to have local solutions, like people who are paying into a system in order to help out those people, that is a local solution. It is not a federal solution. Okay, a free market system that prizes innovation and low pricing. You want low pricing? You want, low, you want affordable insurance? If you want affordable insurance, you need a free market health care system. Affordable insurance does not exist in the world of nationalized health care. It is not affordable because the government is paying for it. Okay, but again, Every single Republican is falling into this trap. Here's Paul Ryan doing the exact same thing. Under this bill, no matter what, you cannot be denied coverage if you have a pre-existing condition. Under this bill, you cannot but only you not be charge denied coverage, more. you can't be charged higher. It, let, me, let me finish my point. You can't charge people more if they keep continuous coverage. The, P, the key of having a continuous coverage provision is to make sure that people stay covered and they move from one plan to the next if they want to. It's kind of like waiting until your house is on fire to then buy your homeowner's insurance. You want to make sure that people stay covered to keep the cost down. But, but as and the you most know, recent Speaker, sometimes amendment that was added, just let me no finish my point, George. No, that is one point. I just want to get in on that right. point. So people let me finish my point. In your, that's right. So I was getting there until you just cut me off. The point of this bill in those states that get a waiver to do what they need to do to make it work better in their particular states 
has support exactly for that very person who if in the course between a year get extra aid for support for pre-existing condition and on the state waivers are on the condition that a state has a working high-risk pool to help specifically that person with high pre-existing condition. So let me ask a question. Who's going to own this? Who's going to own this program? It's going to be the Republicans because now they're talking like Democrats. And the minute that you say that we are just like the Democrats, we can run the system, but we'll run it better. When the system fails, who do you think is going to get the blame and who should get the blame? The answer is the Republicans are going to get the blame. The Republicans are going to own every last bit of this because the so-called Obamacare repeal that they pursued did not actually repeal Obamacare. See, if they had just repealed Obamacare, if they had passed a one-sentence bill repealing everything under Obamacare that they could under reconciliation, then who would have gotten the blame? Who would have gotten the blame? Obama would have gotten the blame because the transition would have been back to a system that was better than Obamacare in the first place. And now we'd be in transition mode, right? But when you do repeal and replace at the same time, and instead of fixing it piecemeal with popular solutions, all you end up doing is replacing it with an omnibus package of your own that no one has read. Who do you think is going to own this and who should own all of this? But again, calling it an Obamacare repeal, the people who are going to end up with the blame are the people who proclaim the free market. Did you hear anything, anything in what Ryan's Priebus or Paul Ryan said that was free market oriented? Is there anything there that was free market oriented? There's not one word about the free market, not one word about competition, not one word about capitalism in there, not one. Because even Republicans aren't defending a capitalist program with regard to health insurance because even Republicans have bought into the notion that the government ought to provide health insurance to everyone, which is why Charles Krauthammer is right. When he says that we are just a few years away from nationalized health care, socialized medicine, he is 100% correct. And the only question is going to be whether it's going to be Switzerland-style health insurance programs, which would be better, or whether it's going to be British-style where we just nationalize the whole thing, which would be the worst-case scenario. This is why Republicans are terrible at all of this. By the way, Republicans are going to own this, and it's going to be even closer to Obamacare. They're not even going to get—you watch. This will get to the Senate. The Senate will completely get rid of the state opt-out on pre-existing conditions. The Senate will get rid of, all, uh, of half of the Medicaid restructuring in all likelihood. Susan Collins, who is one of the—the the Republicans only have 52 votes in the Senate. They lose three, they're done. Susan Collins is one of the people who's going to be pushing hard against the House bill. Here's what she had to say about the, about the House bill, which, by the way, defunds Planned Parenthood. She opposes that. I don't think that low-income women should be denied their choice of health care providers for family planning, cancer screenings, and well women care. It's not the only issue in this huge bill, but I certainly think that it's not fair and it is a mistake to defund Planned Parenthood, but it's one of many issues. Okay, and obviously this is going to be the, the consistent push. Bill Cassidy is a senator from Louisiana. He's going to be Jimmy Kimmel's guest tonight. You watch. Kimmel's going to press him on it, and Cassidy's going to dump the entire House, House bill under the bus. All of this is just bad politics. Unless you're just saying that the idea here was to deceive the base about Obamacare repeal and then call it a day, it's bad politics. It's not a great bill. It's a, it, it's, as I tweeted last Friday after this thing passed, here's my basic idea here. Half a turd is indeed better than an entire turd. But don't pretend it's a diamond, because then it's the diamond cutter who gets blamed when the turd ends up being a turd. It's not a great bill. It is not an Obamacare repeal. And again, the free markets, capitalists, people who believe in open competition are going to get blamed when this thing goes down the toilet because there are holes in it, because no government can run a healthcare system successfully without either an individual mandate that is enormous or a nationalized healthcare system. And both of those, both of those, particularly the nationalized healthcare system, are bound to fail. Okay, now, meanwhile, the Trump budget passed last Friday. No hubbub over this because we have to pretend that everything is great. 
the Trump budget was, again, $1.1 trillion, I believe, $1.5 trillion, uh, and it did not fund the Trump wall. Uh, Mick Mulvaney, who's the head of the Office of Management and Budget, now he's doing the tough-talking routine. It's very funny. that They'll do the tough talk when they don't actually have anything to, uh, on the table. So nothing's on the table anymore, right? They just avoided the government shutdown with a giant budget bill. Mick Mulvaney says, well, maybe next time we'll have a really good shutdown. The president this week in the, on the budget question uh, said that we, uh, that we should have a good shutdown. What's a good shutdown? Yeah, I saw that tweet. Um, in fact, I saw that tweet about two minutes before I walked in to do the, 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 the press uh, reports on the, uh, on the 2017 funding bill. Um, but here's what I think it is. Um, I think the president is frustrated that the process in Washington is broken. What we just did this week was fine and passable, but not ideal. Um, the appropriations, the spending process, Congress using the power of the purse has been broken he- here in Washington for more than 10 years. And I think a good shutdown would be one that could help fix that. It's part of that overall drain the swamp uh, mentality about Washington, D.C. This president is willing to think outside the box and do things differently around here in order to change Washington. No, OK, and there's only com- one problem, which is that next time there's a government shutdown, guess who's going to get blamed? It's going to be Trump. The whole point of having a government shutdown is to blame the other guy for the government shutdown. It's just silliness. Again, this is not the way that you run a government, and it's certainly not the way that conservatism wins in the end. Okay, time for things I like and then some things that I hate. So, things that I like. This week I'm going to be doing, I think, uh, things that I like about things that I hate. So, uh, this... uh, this book is a really good book. Uh, sorry, Austin, but as you know, I'm a White Sox fan, and I hate the Cubs. Austin is a Cubs fan. This is a really great book by Tom Verducci. Uh, it's called The Cubs Way, The Zen of Building the Best Human Baseball uh, and Breaking the Curse. It is a, it is a really first-rate book, uh, really interesting it's hard to hate the current Cubs team because the current Cubs team is actually filled with really good people, uh, apparently. Like, Anthony Rizzo seems like a really good guy. Uh, Chris Bryant seems like a really good guy. Joe Ben seems like a really good guy. Epstein, of course, is the best GM in baseball history. So it's it's sort of hard to hate. Jake Arrieta seems like a good guy. There, there are a lot of good people, it seems like, on, on the Cubs team. Although, one thing that I'm allowed to hate is uh, them picking up Araldis Chapman, who is definitely not a good guy <laughs> near the end of the season last year. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he ended up... There's a whole thing about Araldis Chapman in the book. It's a really good baseball book. I just love good baseball books, and so I'm willing to overlook the fact that this is about the Cubs finally winning the World Series. I also have to say I feel less bad about the Cubs winning the World Series since they did it 12 years after my White Sox won the World Series. So it's it's not quite as hurtful as it would have been if the Cubs had won before the White Sox. Now, speaking of which, by the way, stay tuned because my dad and I are actually coming out with a book on the 2005 White Sox championship season sometime in the next month. So we'll be talking about that. I'm actually have my dad on for an interview, which, which, which will be fun. Um, but uh, that's uh, the, the book is The Cubs Way. You can go check it out by Tom Verducci, one of the best baseball writers in the business, top notch. Okay, other things that I like. Benjamin Netanyahu is uh, the Prime Minister of Israel, and uh, he went off on the press because the press have been touting that the Palestinians suddenly want peace. It is absolute nonsense. Ever wonder what fake news is? Last week, headlines in CNN, Al Jazeera, and The Guardian said that Hamas now accepts a Palestinian state along the 1967 lines. The New York Times headline called this moderation. The intimation is that Hamas now accepts the state of Israel. Great news, right? Well, except for one small detail. This is a complete distortion of the truth. The new Hamas document says that Israel has no right to exist. It says every inch of our land belongs to the Palestinians. It says there is no acceptable solution other than to remove Israel. So why does Hamas say there's a consensus for a smaller Palestinian state now? In order to destroy Israel later. 
So good they for Netanyahu. Netanyahu does a good job laying out the case. Uh, honestly, I wish that Trump had Netanyahu's skill of communication, because if he did, Republicans would be in much better shape. Uh, well done on Netanyahu for telling the truth about all of this. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So we begin with Barack Obama. He won a Profile in Courage Award from the Teddy Ken- from the John F. Kennedy Presidential Library, I guess, or the Presidential Foundation, something like that. Uh, and the John F. Kennedy Profile in Courage Award, which is named after a book that John F. Kennedy did not write. Ted Sorensen wrote Profiles in Courage. Um, but Obama wins it. Why? Because he's a Democrat and they want to give him an excuse to come out of the woodwork and bash Trump. So that's exactly what he did last night. For many Americans, I know that this feels like an uncertain and even perilous time. The forces of globalization and technology have upended many of our established assumptions about the economy. They've provided great opportunity, but also great inequality and uncertainty for far too many. Our politics remains filled with division and discord, and everywhere we see the risk of falling into the refuge of tribe and clan and anger at those who don't look like us or have the same surnames or pray the way we do. And at such moments, courage is necessary. At such moments, we need courage to stand up to hate, not just in others, but in ourselves. At such moments, we need the courage to stand up to dogma, not just in others, but in ourselves. Terrible hypocrite he is. What a terrible, terrible hypocrite he is. No one has tribalized America quite like Barack Obama in the years of my life. The idea that, that, that Barack Obama is some sort of halcyon of uniting rhetoric is absolute turd. It's not true whatsoever. And then he said somewhere in here that Congress, he hoped, would have the courage not to do what's politically expedient, but to do deep in our heart what we know is right. He said, Congress people should, quote, recognize it takes little courage to aid those who are already powerful, already comfortable, already influential. It takes some courage to champion the vulnerable and the sick and the infirm, those who often have no access to the corridors of power. This is such crap. Every demagogue in history has said this. Okay, the idea that it takes courage to champion the little guy, it takes no courage to champion the little guy. It also takes no courage to champion the big guy. You know what it takes courage to do? To tell the truth to both the little guy and to the big guy. The idea that it takes courage to sit around talking about how the poor have it rough, that does not take courage. You know what takes courage? Telling people stuff they don't want to hear. Kevin Williamson wrote a great column over at National Review over the weekend about how there's an entire mentality that exists in parts of the country where people feel that they are passive observers in their own life and not responsible for any of the things that they do in their own life. So, you know, they are evicted. It's not that they did stuff to lead them to being evicted. They are evicted or they have a bad job. Okay, they don't have a bad job. They got a bad job because they didn't do make good decisions about their education in many cases. This idea that everybody is a victim, okay, this is something that is promulgated in politics. The idea that it takes courage to promulgate a victim narrative about how some people in America are screwing other people in America, that is not courage. Courage is doing what Ted Cruz did in Iowa during the last election cycle and campaigning for the presidency in Iowa, the first state, by saying, I'm not going to give you subsidies because ethanol is a boondoggle. That's political courage. Okay, political courage is actually Donald Trump saying to members of the black community, guys, the problem here ain't the police. The problem here is the gangs. Okay, that takes political courage. It takes political courage to say things that are not popular. And it is always popular to say, oh, look at the poor guy. The poor guy's getting screwed. That's always the easy thing to say for Obama to pretend otherwise, to pretend like, oh, he has serious courage for saying that poor people ought to have health care. 
Of course, poor people ought to have health care. Everybody ought to have health care. In a free market system, that's the only way that poor people are ever going to be able to afford good health care. Everybody not ought to have health care. Everybody ought to be able to have health care that they can afford and work for and don't demand at the point of gun from somebody else. Freedom still matters. And quality of health care still matters. Basically, all that redistributionism does is it freezes time and redistributes resources. That's all redistributionism does. Socialism freezes what you have right now and redistributes it, and then it starts to fade. Okay, that's what happens in medicine too. Socialism just freezes things and then redistributes them. Free markets grow things. Okay, that's why it's, a, it, it, it's harsher. Right? It's a harder world in capitalism than it is in socialism. But only in the short term, certainly not in the long term, which is why we live better now than we did 20 years ago, and socialist countries live worse now than they did 30 years ago. Okay, uh, other things that I hate. So people are getting all over Paul Ryan because Paul Ryan posed for a photo uh, with a guy who is wearing a, a shirt that comes from, I think this is one of these uh, lefty podcasts, Repeal and Go F Yourselves, GOP. Uh, I think this comes from the, the Pod Save America gang. Uh, and uh, he's wearing this shirt that says, Repeal and Go F Yourselves, because that's the Republican program, that we're going to leave everybody behind. We don't care about you. Only Obama cares about you, because he has courage. And Ryan took a picture with this guy. Okay, Ryan should have read his shirt, obviously. But what, ha- what would happen if Ryan had said to him, I'm not going to take a picture with you? Then the idea would have been, well, what a cruel, nasty guy Paul Ryan is for not taking a picture with him. You can see the guy's also wearing a hoodie. My guess is that the guy had his hoodie zipped up when he met Ryan, and then as they took the picture, he unzipped his hoodie. That would just be my, my uninformed guess as to what happened here. But uh, it's, it's, it's really silly to pass stuff like this around as though it's a giant triumph. Uh, really, really dumb. Okay, final thing that I hate. Uh, so this Virginia woman has been caught on tape spewing nasty anti-Muslim and anti-Obama rhetoric in a Trader Joe's line. And now this is going around online. And uh, here's what it looked like. And then you say that everybody's great. Okay. I got it. Shouldn't have let you in front of me. Don't worry. Sorry. I wish I didn't let you in the country. Excuse me? Huh? I was born here. I don't know if you... Oh, you were? a little bit, but basically she's saying to some lady who's a Muslim, I think, that, that she you know, that she was born abroad and the lady wasn't born abroad. And this is going around the internet and people are, are now saying this woman's life should be ruined because obviously she is a bigot. Uh, the problem that I have with this general idea is that it actually has to manifest in behavior. So she should, she should certainly feel social shaming for saying nasty things to people in public like this, um, but the idea that this definitely impacts her behavior with other businesses or that she's discriminating in business, you'd have to show proof of that in order to say that, for example, her business ought to be boycotted. People say lots of stupid things and then in business don't actually enact the stupid things they believe. Okay, we will be back here tomorrow with all the latest updates. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, 
I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 